our success at Virginia Women's Center has come from surrounding that provider with all of those tools that they need to be able to provide that good health care. We see Privia Women's Health as being an enormous extension of that. Welcome back to The Break Room. I am your host, Alexis Murray, and thank you for joining us for episode 11. The world hasn't come together to do what's necessary to save women's and children's lives until now. Now the world is changing. You are changing it. In this room, there are health experts who work tirelessly for women and children, even when it was lonely work. There are advocates who kept up the drumbeat even when others were silent. There are government officials who listened and acted even when others were deaf and dormant. That's an excerpt from Melinda Gates' speech at the 2010 Women Deliver Conference. Known for her dedication to improving care for women and children, Gates is one of the many female advocates who have used their voice, resources, and influence to push for the right to quality health care for women and children all around the world. Her powerful remarks resonate as a reminder of the need for healthcare organizations to continually invest in women's health. Today's episode will focus on women's health as we celebrate the 19th annual National Women's Health Week that kicked off this Sunday, May 13th. This week is dedicated to urging women to take the necessary steps to improving their physical and mental health, encouraging all women to be as healthy as possible. We're celebrating this week by talking with Dr. Kay Stout, president of Virginia Women's Center, about why working with women is so important to her and how her practice is creating a safe space for her patients. Caring for women is unique, and we understand that women deserve resources and support to stay educated and empowered through all stages of life. Privia Medical Group has entered a new partnership with Virginia Women's Center to launch a women's health initiative, Privia Women's Health. We entered this partnership because we were tired of waiting for women's health to receive the prominence it deserves. We're taking the charge, leading the solution, and giving our women's health providers the resources they need to improve their practice and focus on their patients. Learn more about this new initiative at priviawomenshealth.com. Again, that is priviawomenshealth.com. Let's get back to the show. Our guest today is Dr. Kay Stout, president of Virginia Women's Center, a 46 provider practice serving women all around the Richmond and Northern Neck areas of Virginia. Dr. Stout earned her doctorate at Southwestern Medical School and is certified in obstetrics and gynecology, serving as a women's health provider since 1992. Along with earning her doctorate, she earned her Master of Business Administration from the Mason School of Business at the College of William & Mary. Dr. Stout is a diplomat of the American Board of Obstetrics and Gynecology and has been named a fellow by the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. In her spare time, she enjoys golfing and spending time with her husband and daughter. Thank you for joining us today, Dr. Stout. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit about your background? What motivated you first to become a doctor and second to work in women's health? Right. Well, it's, it's great to be here today with you. And uh, so, so choosing, choosing healthcare uh, really is, is one, of the, one of the easiest decisions for me. It was just whether or not I was going to choose veterinary healthcare or people healthcare uh, and actually ended up uh, thankfully making the decision to, to move into healthcare as a child of an engineer and a medical manager of a family practice, uh, practice. I, I, I sort of had lots of choices in terms of, of career options, but, but really felt that, that the ability to, to help people in the way um, uh, of, of health was, was for me. And uh, education is a big, long, 
track for anybody um, on that pathway. And, uh, you know, I was certainly blessed to have that opportunity. Uh, when it came down to deciding which specialty in healthcare, women's healthcare, uh, back those decades ago when I made that decision was really described as obstetrics and gynecology. It's much different now, much, much more all-encompassing. But the wonderful thing about obstetrics and gynecology was the ability to, to be with women and help them through all phases of their life, uh, whether they were pregnant or not pregnant, trying to get pregnant, trying, trying to get pregnant, uh, and being able to have continuity of care with a patient throughout her life. Um, being able to to have some of the immediacy of results of pregnancy or surgical interventions, but also those treasured relationships um, throughout throughout the life life cycle. What is so special about caring for women through all stages of life? Well, we've been given a tremendous privilege and and really a an seemingly overwhelming responsibility to help with. Uh, people and their families, right? So how do we, whether it's underneath a situation of wellness or disease, how do we help women to, to find their way towards growing their families, um, towards growing the, their selves and their careers, and how do we, how do we help them uh, utilize the information and evidence that's out there about the best options for treatment if there's a problem, uh, or really to, to go about hopefully what is a low-risk pregnancy and, and get them to the type of pregnancy and delivery that satisfies them and brings them a, a healthy uh, baby. Uh, or if it's a high-risk situation, which really nobody would, would choose to be in, but that's the reality of our world, and, and we have just so many resources now to be able to, to, to bring about a healthy pregnancy and healthy delivery, even though there are serious medical diseases going on. And so, so really giving, having that opportunity, it's really been incredibly special in, over years of practice to see how so many women, and this is, does not have any one particular socioeconomic class, one particular race, one particular geography by any means, but I've seen so many examples of women that have such incredible, such incredible strength, whether they're dealing with, with social family issues, uh, disease issue, children issue, parent issues. It's been really impressive to see the strength of so many women uh, under under stages of adversity and to be able to help them through that also to enjoy as they as they as they have health and they 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 see not just their their family start to grow but their their family with with births and new additions to the to the family but as they grow and they those children mature and and then they actually start to add to their families um, that's a, a pretty incredible uh, privilege to be a part of all that. According to the World Health Organization, between 1990 and 2013, the maternal mortality ratio for the USA more than doubled from an estimated 12 to 28 maternal deaths per 100,000. As a women's health physician and advocate, why are we seeing this rise? Right, and, and that is distinctly statistics that are, are a call to arms for all of our healthcare system 
as well as all of us in women's health care. The unfortunate fact of the matter is that we have disease rates in the United States that uh, really impact young women, reproductive age women, and impact pregnancy. Uh, the standard American diet is crushing the scales of America with over 50% of Americans being either diabetic or pre-diabetic, and that extends to the, the reproductive age group. Uh, the number of patients that I have less than 21 years of age that are teenagers and have already morbid obesity is incredibly high. That results in hypertensive disease of pregnancy, diabetic disease of pregnancy, which of course affects the pregnancy and the baby. Uh, we have uh, increases cesarean section rates, and, and so there are a tremendous number of, of factors that play into that. Um, when we compare the United States form of obstetric care to other developed countries, uh, we don't rate very well, and we've got to figure out how do we, how do we address that. There's a lot of disparity between different groups in America in terms of those statistics. You didn't quite go into the, the detail about uh, what happens in urban versus suburban versus rural areas, what happens in terms of racial disparities, um, and those are, are not great statistics. When we look at other countries that, that really, from an obstetric standpoint, really rely upon uh, trained certified nurse midwifery, those countries tend to have much better statistics. In the United States, we have an, a medical model of obstetricians which dominate the overwhelming number of deliveries. In the United States, there are clearly practices that, that utilize uh, nurse midwifery as does Virginia Women's Center to, to help in the provision of care, particularly in the low-risk patient for, for obstetrics. Uh, we look at those, those may be some solutions. Clearly, if we can reduce unplanned pregnancies, if we can reduce maternal obesity rates, if we can reduce the incidence of hypertensive disease, and if we can reduce the incidence of high intervention, low value labor and delivery events, then we're gonna see those statistics turn around. They are troubling statistics. They should be troubling to all of healthcare and to all of us in women's healthcare. There are a lot of uh, people a lot smarter than I am that still haven't been able to figure out the exact causative from a statistical standpoint where we go with that. But when we just simply do a clinical comparison and look across at other clinical workflows and what we do in the United States, we really have a lot of room to move. A recent study by the National Institute of Health showed that women waited 16 minutes longer than men to receive pain medication when they visited an ER. In a survey of more than 2,400 women, 83% felt that they experienced gender discrimination from their providers. Have you heard this feedback from your patients and what have you seen regarding this issue in healthcare? Right. So so, you know, very clearly health in women is a, a multifactorial event. It's, it's what's happening in their environment. It's what's happening on their own initiative. It's what's happening with their caregivers. Uh, 
I have not seen that element of what appears in that study to be overtly discriminatory to women. I have not, I would not think my clinical experience meets up with that. But really, in truth and fact, whether I'm counseling a teenager, whether I'm counseling a, a older woman or even a retiree, it really is about her understanding that that she needs to discern that she's in charge of her body and that 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 she needs to make those decisions, particularly in in the, the highly influential teenage age group as it relates to a lot of things in terms of relationships, sexual activity, STD exposure. So so it's really a matter of, of not being a parent but an advocate for her. And and I I've been told I sound a lot like a parent to my patients when I'm talking with them, and I, I take that as a compliment. But but a patient receives it differently than they do from from a parent. And so so it's really a matter of empowering them. And and the, the unfortunate fact of the matter is we have an epidemic of 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 abuse that goes on in our in our country and and getting the woman to understand that it is not her pathology but the abuser's pathology takes a tremendous amount of time in getting getting her to those resources that can can more uh, fulfill those those abilities for her to get out of those situations so um, yeah I I um, I'm not really certain that I could support or believe those discriminatory pain uh, or gender discriminatory type data. I've just not seen that in the clinical arena, whether it be in, certainly not in our office. I'm not sure I've seen it uh, in, in the acute care setting in hospitals. But I do appreciate that we have I'm not going to say a healthcare system that's broken. There's a lot of good things that happen in our healthcare system, but we certainly have a healthcare system that needs to improve. And that may speak to some of the improvements that we need as patients try to traverse a very difficult healthcare environment. In order to empower women to be their best advocates, what are some questions you would suggest women ask from their providers? Absolutely. So, so the real critical issue is the relationship and being comfortable to communicate. Once upon a time, I expect maybe back in Marcus Welby days that, that he just told a patient what to do. And that's not our environment that we live in. One, there's, there's no longer the information asymmetry. Uh, back in a day before internet and smartphones and, and social media, there was a real information asymmetry where the educated knew and the patient should just listen. That's no longer the case, and that's a good thing. Uh, there's a, in truth and in fact, a helpful component to a patient being able to come in having educated herself, whether it's social media accurately or inaccurately, internet accurately or inaccurately, because then we can go ahead and make sure that that information is consumed as appropriate for that individual patient. 
And so I think my best advice to all patients would be, one, make sure you have a caregiver with whom you can communicate. And people communicate in different ways, shapes, and form, obviously, but there has to be a comfort level that a patient should never leave an encounter without understanding, one, what is the problem? understanding it in her words so that she can then turn around and explain it to perhaps her her significant other or her friends that, that it, in her words can be explained. Because she can't understand what the recommended solutions are unless she understands what the problems are. That she should also uh, go ahead and, and understand what all options are, uh, whether this is in health, and prevention or whether it's in disease and cure. So understanding all options and if there is a belief that she has has come to by virtue of internet or friends or social media that she should share that with her provider to not feel that it's confrontational but to very simply say, well, what about? What about is always a great way to say, to, to understand what she's thinking. Uh, and, and that if those answers don't come or she comes up with additional concerns after the visit, that there should be a really good mechanism for her to re-question, to come back with additional, I forgot, I didn't let you know, I wanna make sure you're aware of, I think one of the is as I'm counseling newer newer providers, one of the one of the best questions at the end of a discussion or an end of a visit is to just very simply say, do you have any other questions or concerns? Or is there anything else I should be aware of? And that's an incredible question that really uh, gets very frequently to the, the purpose of the entire visit. And so I think it's, it's understanding that, that if, you're, if your provider is not asking that question, make them ask that question. I myself as a woman have been guilty of neglecting to see the doctor when I certainly needed to do so. So I fully understand how easy it is for women to try and rationalize or downplay their own health concerns. What steps have you taken as a women's health provider to create a safe space for your patients in which they feel comfortable sharing their concerns and they feel heard and cared for? Right, so that, that really is our challenge in, in women's health care today. And, and that is with so much information that is readily available to all, some accurate, much inaccurate, but yet it's really to, to provide a, a incredibly convenient way to meet the patient whenever and wherever she needs so that we can give her whatever she needs or wants. And so that, that takes on a different, a different way of healthcare delivery than even 10 years ago. So expanded office hours, online scheduling, uh, electronic communication so that, that at 3 a.m. when she's concerned, she can send electronic communications. Uh, enhancing the ability for her to access her advocates in the way in which she needs and wants. Uh, women are under so much pressure today to handle multiple events, multiple tasks. 
that we can't just sit back and, and wait for her to, to meet our conveniences. We have to meet her conveniently. So, so it's really a matter of, of just sort of some, some very simple things of expanded office hours, whether that's weekends, early mornings, late afternoons, evenings, uh, and, and really try to provide for her what she needs. It's very easy. Most women that I've taken care of will take care of others first right. before they take care of themselves. And so, so really getting in a situation where there can be a relationship built with the care team such that if, if one doctor isn't available, it might be a nurse that helps her through getting to the right place. It might be a nurse practitioner. It might be a nurse midwife. It might be another physician. Uh, but that we go ahead and, and have the ability to help her when she does reach out. And then there's also the completeness of care. Uh, you know, for the majority of women, the majority of women without major medical issues, the, the OBGYN tends to be the primary care provider, typically in the younger years or even up to, to less than age 50 or so. And so as things like pap smear screenings become uh, an interval that's not yearly, but anywhere from three to five years, depending upon individual circumstances, uh, we do more than just pap smears. It's really about about being there to screen for the hypertension, to screen for the metabolic disorders, the cardiovascular disease, how to, uh, how to make sure that we can identify health risks early when they can be treated and intervened upon. So it's really about we've got to make sure that, that we not only deal with the, the health issues that a patient's not aware of, but that we give her reason to trust us, and that's good relationships, competent, good healthcare providers across the entire team in an environment that's safe for her. Uh, obviously, privacy is enormous, and making sure that she understands that, uh, that we hold that sacred as well. Virginia Women's Center is a large women's health provider in Richmond, Virginia area, and your practice has been successful for many years independently. Why did you choose to partner with Privia? So Virginia Women's Center, with our successes, as you mentioned, still is a part of a very complex healthcare environment, um, one where we have at least today, 18% of the gross domestic product in the United States is spent on health care. That is continuing to increase at, at unsustainable levels as it has for a number of years. And 18% of gross domestic product is crushing our federal government's budget. It's crushing the Commonwealth of Virginia's budget. It's crushing Virginia Women's Center budget. It's crushing each of our physicians' individual home budgets. So, so it's really a matter of, of we are the, the determinants very frequently of how healthcare dollars are spent. We need to make the corrections so that we can make sure that the patient gets the right care. Aligning with Privia Women's Health will give Virginia Women's Center the ability to enter into quality-based contracting and healthcare. 
We're, we're not simply paid on a fee-for-service basis, but actually where we actually get to engage in how are we improving the health of our patients and to do so in a fiscally responsible manner for the patient and for the practice. We also realize that in, in the, the, the difficulties of running a business, that although we have uh, several providers, quite a large uh, group of women's healthcare providers, that, that really when we gain economies of scale and efficiencies that come from having hundreds of partners, that those efficiencies will reap even better benefits for our patients, particularly as we look at services that can be available, such as, as telehealth or virtual visits, such as additional services potentially in office along the lines of mammography, in-house ultrasound and maternal fetal medicine services, in-house laboratory, possibly even pharmacy. So a lot of benefits where, where if we want a healthy patient, how wonderful would that be in this busy, crazy world that women live to come in for her annual exam and get her mammogram, annual GYN visit, and oops, she needed a prescription and to be able to walk out with the medication in her hand, and we needed to check some lab work, and she didn't have to go anywhere else, but she got that obtained before she left and resulted immediately to a mechanism or portal that allowed the patient to have ready access to all of her information. Uh, those are a lot of the reasons why we, we have chosen to align with Privia Women's Health. At the same time, we did not, at Virginia Women's Center, having had decades of building a premier practice in our region, we didn't want to lose our culture. We have patients that understand and know the Virginia Women's Center way and brand, and we're able to continue that. And that, that as well was really important to our patients and to our staff and to our doctors. How will Privia Women's Health aim to solve the challenges women's health providers face? So one of the one of the best things about being a doctor is you as we mentioned you have that privilege to take care of women and their families. But there's a lot very complicated that gets in the way of that. And we really see that our success at Virginia Women's Center has come from surrounding that provider with all of those tools that they need to be able to provide that good health care. We see Privia Women's Health as being an enormous extension of that. Free the provider to be the provider, to be the doctor, to be the nurse practitioner, to be the midwife, without having to get so terribly embroiled in one, a poor or suboptimal information or EMR system, without having to bear alone those business burdens of negotiating payer contracts, being at risk for quality contracts that aren't understood, uh, you know, having to go it alone. So, so we really see it as, as the ability to extend and really look at sustainability and changing, transforming healthcare from being just a mere transactional event to really being transformational and being able to provide quality health care at an efficient and reasonable price and cost to the system or the individual.
Thank you for listening in and thank you to Dr. Stout for joining us today. If you want to learn more about National Women's Health Week, you can check out womenshealth.gov. And if you want to learn more about Privia's new women's health initiative, you can check out Privia Women's Health at priviawomenshealth.com. You can subscribe to future episodes or check out past episodes at go.priviahealth.com slash the break room. You can also find the break room on iTunes. So please check us out, subscribe, rate this episode and leave a review. If you have any questions or want to learn more about how we're putting independent physicians back in the driver's seat of healthcare, please contact the Privia team at 888-996-0232.